Five men who have served as President of the United States, four have been assassinated. Abraham Lincoln in 1865, James Garfield, who died in Long Branch, New Jersey, in 1881, William McKinley in 1901, and John F. Kennedy in 1963. One sitting president has been wounded in an assassination attempt, Ronald Reagan in 1981. Another former president was also wounded in an assassination attempt, Theodore Roosevelt in 1912. But there have also been plenty of failed assassination attempts that did not result in the death or injury of a U.S. president. The earliest recorded assassination attempt against a U.S. president took place in 1835 when mentally ill house painter Richard Lawrence tried to shoot at Andrew Jackson with two revolvers. Both guns misfired, and Jackson proceeded to beat Lawrence nearly to death with his cane. In 1864, Abraham Lincoln was nearly hit by a sniper's bullet that went through his hat. The individual who fired at Lincoln was never apprehended. In 1933, Italian immigrant Giuseppe Zangara fired five shots at Franklin Roosevelt while Roosevelt was giving a speech. Five bystanders were hit, including Chicago Mayor Anton Chermak, who later died from his wounds. Zangara was executed by electric chair a month later for the killing of Chermak. In 1950, Puerto Rican nationalists Oscar Collazo and Griselio Torresola attempted to assassinate Harry Truman, but were intercepted by White House police. In the ensuing shootout, police officer Leslie Caulfield was killed and two more police officers were wounded, while Torresolo was also killed. Collazo was initially sentenced to death, but Truman commuted his sentence to life in prison and Jimmy Carter would later commute his sentence to time served. In 1974, disgruntled salesman Samuel Bick attempted to kill Richard Nixon by hijacking a plane and flying it into the White House, but the plane never left the ground. Bick killed a police officer and a pilot before dying from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. In 2005, Georgian anti-American activist Vladimir Artunian threw a hand grenade at George W. Bush while Bush was speaking. The grenade landed near Bush but failed to detonate, and Artunian was later arrested and sentenced to life in prison. There is another president I haven't mentioned who narrowly survived not one, but two assassination attempts. Gerald Ford, who served as President of the United States from 1974 to 1977, is widely considered by both historians and the general public to be a below-average president. In addition to being the only president who was never elected, having never appeared on a winning presidential or vice presidential ticket, several of Ford's decisions received heavy criticism. Most controversially, his pardon of his disgraced predecessor Richard Nixon for Nixon's participation in the Watergate scandal was slammed as an act of insider political corruption that set a negative precedent against prosecuting high-ranking politicians for serious misconduct. 
Ford also presided over an economy that had been struggling with inflation and deficit for much of the 1970s and had to deal with the fallout of his predecessor's withdrawal of American troops from the Vietnam War, which culminated in the fall of Saigon in 1975 and the disillusion of South Vietnam. Additionally, Ford was frequently ridiculed for his alleged clumsiness, such as his infamous fall down the steps of Air Force One, with Chevy Chase's imitation of him on Saturday Night Live being particularly famous. In the 1976 Republican presidential primaries, Ford nearly became the first incumbent president to run in and lose a primary, with California Governor Ronald Reagan earning 46% of the vote to Ford's 53% precipitating Ford's loss to Jimmy Carter in the 1976 presidential election. Of course, Ford's tenure wasn't all bad. Ford offered conditional amnesty to Vietnam War draft dodgers and signed the Helsinki Accords, further de-escalating the Cold War. Ford was also the last Republican president to support the ill-fated Equal Rights Amendment, and in his later years, he became a vocal supporter of the pro-choice movement in the abortion debate. In 2001, Ford became the first U.S. president to join the leadership of an LGBT rights organization, becoming a board member of the Republican Unity Coalition, which sought to make the Republican Party more amenable to gay voters. Ford's openness towards the gay community was seen as a rather out-of-character action for a Republican of his time, but it was a genuine belief of his that stemmed from the actions of a one man who quite literally saved his life. I'm going to tell you all about him right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 94th episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Cameron Sherman, Scott Sherman, David Kahn, Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Spotify for Podcasters. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Spotify for Podcasters. Oliver Wellington Sipple was born on November 20, 1941, in Detroit, Michigan. As a child, Sipple struggled with dyslexia, and he eventually dropped out of high school. In 1968, Sipple was conscripted into the United States Marine Corps and deployed to fight in the Vietnam War. In December of that year, Sipple was severely wounded when shrapnel from a grenade became lodged in his head, leaving him unable to fight in the war. To finish out his second tour of duty, Sipple was transferred to a veterans hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where he worked until his honorable discharge in March of 1970 at the rank of Private First Class. By this point in his life, Sipple had come to terms with his sexual orientation, identifying as a gay man. 
He moved to the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, California after leaving the military, becoming an outspoken member of the city's gay community. Sippel took a job as a bartender at a gay bar, and one of his most common patrons was reportedly the famous gay rights activist and future local politician Harvey Milk. Sippel and Milk became close friends, with Sippel becoming a member of Milk's unsuccessful 1973 campaign for San Francisco City Supervisor. However, Sippel's wartime scars, both physical and mental, never left him, and he spent much of 1975 in a veterans hospital in San Francisco. Shortly after Sippel left the hospital, Northern California was rocked by huge news. On September 5th, 1975, President Gerald Ford was shaking hands in Sacramento, California, when former Manson family cultist Lynette Fromm, who was outraged by environmental pollution under the Ford administration, drew an M1911 pistol and tried to fire at Ford from two feet away. The gun jammed, and Fromm was quickly subdued. She would later be sentenced to life in prison before being released on parole in 2009. This assassination attempt, while unsuccessful, prompted the Secret Service to implement much tighter security measures in advance of Ford's planned visit to San Francisco later that month. But neither Ford, nor the Secret Service, nor Sippel foresaw what would happen in San Francisco. On September 22nd, 1975, just 17 days after the Sacramento assassination attempt, Gerald Ford arrived in San Francisco. Eager to see the president, Oliver Sippel, who was then 33 years old, joined approximately 3,000 other people in a crowd outside of Ford's hotel in downtown San Francisco. Standing next to Sippel was Sarah Jane Moore, a middle-aged accountant from West Virginia. Little did anyone know, Moore had a history of involvement with radical left-wing activist groups, which culminated in her working as an FBI informant against the Symbionese Liberation Army. In mid-1975, the FBI abruptly stopped contacting Moore, and she began to fear that the government was planning to kill her. She decided that, if she was going to die, she first wanted to start a left-wing revolution to change America by assassinating the president. As Ford left his hotel and prepared to enter the presidential limousine, he waved at the crowd that Sippel and Moore were standing in. At this moment, Moore fired one shot at Ford from a 38 Special Revolver. The bullet whizzed over Ford's head, missing him by only five inches. As Moore prepared to fire a second round at a startled Ford, Sippel dove towards her and pulled her arm away. Moore fired again, but due to Sippel's actions, the round went astray, instead hitting and non-severely wounding taxi driver John Ludwig in the groin. Immediately, Sippel and San Francisco Police Captain Timothy Hetrich dove onto Moore and restrained her, while Ford was thrown into the limousine by the Secret Service and shielded by then-Chief of Staff Donald Rumsfeld. Ford was then rushed to San Francisco International Airport, where he took Air Force One back to Washington, D.C. Moore, meanwhile, was arrested and later sentenced to life in prison. She would be released in 2007 on parole. 
At the scene of the assassination attempt, reporters quickly swarmed Sipple, who insisted that he did not want his name and location to be released. History, however, would have different plans for Sipple. The day after the assassination attempt, Oliver Sippel woke up to nonstop news coverage of his heroic actions that had saved the president's life. Of course, the extent of the public's knowledge of Sippel was that he was an ex-Marine and disabled Vietnam War veteran from Detroit, not that he was a gay man who marched in San Francisco's pride parades. Sippel urged his circle to keep his sexual orientation private, noting that his family back in Michigan didn't know that he was gay. One Harvey Milk, however, disagreed with this idea, wanting to use Sippel's heroism as an opportunity to dispel negative stereotypes of gay men. Milk would later say, quote, I wanted to show people that not everyone who is gay runs around with lipstick, high heels, and a dress. In the gay press, we were happy to have a hero, but Sippel didn't want to be a hero. The second day after the assassination attempt, San Francisco Chronicle journalist Herb Kane published an article that outed Sippel as gay. It turns out that Milk had left a message on Kane's voicemail exposing Sippel's sexual orientation in spite of Sippel's opposition to doing so. The story of the gay ex-Marine, as Sippel would soon be labeled by every major news source in America, spread like wildfire. On the third day after the assassination attempt, Sippel received a handwritten and signed letter from President Gerald Ford, which said, quote, Dear Mr. Sippel, I want you to know how much I appreciated your selfless actions last Monday. The events were a shock to us all, but you acted quickly and without fear for your own safety. By doing so, you helped to avert danger to me and others in the crowd. You have my heartfelt appreciation. Signed, Jerry Ford. It has been speculated that Sippel received only a letter and not an invitation to the White House due to concerns over his sexual orientation. Sippel soon filed a $15 million lawsuit against Herb Kane, the San Francisco Chronicle, and six other newspapers, but this suit was thrown out by the Superior Court in San Francisco. And when the news reached Michigan, Sippel's life was turned upside down. Upon learning that her son was gay, Oliver Sippel's mother reportedly called him in tears and said that she never wanted to speak to him again. Sippel's brother George said that his father had said to him, quote, forget you have a brother. Sippel's mother died of natural causes in 1979, and when he expressed interest in attending her funeral, his father told him that he would not be welcome. That same year, Sippel was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, likely as a result of his wartime head injury. Sippel had previously rarely consumed alcohol, but during a 1979 interview about the assassination attempt, he said, quote, I have a lot of stress and I take it out on booze. Over the next decade, Sippel, once a health nut who went out of his way to exercise despite his disability, 
ballooned up to nearly 300 pounds and had to be fitted with a pacemaker. His new home became the gay bars of San Francisco, where he drunkenly told tall tales of his military service in which he inflated his rank, stating that he had retired as a colonel. He also later said that he regretted ever grabbing Sarah Jane Moore's gun, an action that had effectively ruined his life. Sipple reportedly went broke in his last years, spending most of his veterans' disability pension on alcohol and, out of a sense of generosity, giving the rest to panhandlers in the Tenderloin District. A friend said that he once saw Sipple split his last two dollars, spending one on a glass of whiskey and giving the other to a homeless man. In early 1989, almost 15 years after the assassination attempt, Sipple stopped showing up at his usual drinking spots. On February 2nd, 1989, Sipple's friend entered his apartment to check up on him and found Sipple's dead body on a mattress surrounded by empty bottles of Jack Daniels. It is believed that Sipple drank himself to death almost two weeks earlier. He was 47 years old. Sipple was given a military funeral and buried at Golden Gate National Cemetery in San Bruno, California. Though he never reconciled with his parents, Sipple was successful in making an impact on the man whose life he saved. Upon joining the board of the Republican Unity Coalition in 2001, Gerald Ford expressed regret and sadness at the mistreatment of Oliver Sipple after the events of September 22, 1975. He then famously stated his belief that, quote, gay and lesbian couples ought to be treated equally, period. This was a belief that Ford reportedly adhered to and advocated for all the way until his death in 2006. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I really enjoyed writing it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, Go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to spotify.com slash podcasters. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.